0: Uh, In the spring of 336 B.C., King um, Philip II of Macedon was assassinated. His son, only 20 years of age, ascended the throne. In short order, Alexander became one of the greatest military geniuses the world has ever known. He took his army and first united all of Greece and then in the ensuing years conquered Asia Minor, that's Turkey... Persia, that's Iran, India, Syria, Palestine, and even Egypt. He did all of that uh, shortly before his 33rd birthday. This world conquest by Alexander the Great was prophesied actually by Daniel some 200 years before Alexander was even born. And Then a little later in Zechariah chapter 9, we have recorded another prophecy of Alexander's exploits. That passage, written 150 years before, tells of some of those conquests. We were, were told there that he would take such cities as Damascus and Tyre and, and Sidon. Tyre uh, was almost impregnable. It, it was a fortress located a, a little, uh, on a little island off the, uh, the coast of the main city on the eastern shore of The Mediterranean Sea. Previous to Alexander, uh, both the Assyrians and the Babylonians had unsuccessfully tried to take the fortress. The the Assyrians laid siege to the city for five years. The Nebuchadnezzar under Babylon uh, laid siege for almost 14 years. Alexander, however, uh, as prophesied, took the city in only, well, in only seven months. How did he do it? Well, apparently he destroyed the city on the mainland and then used the rubble to build a bridge uh, to the fortress in the sea. From there, he traveled south, conquered Egypt, which liberated the Egyptians from the much hated Persians. He was, as a result, named honorary Pharaoh. He founded the city which bore his name, Alexandria. He was on his way back that he decided to stop by Jerusalem to conquer that city as well. However, there was a problem. That prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9 said that God would camp around his house and the Jews would be protected from Alexander's siege. Indeed they were. You, you see, as Alexander approached this, the city, r- rather than being met by soldiers, he was met by, he was met by priests dressed in their royal priestly attire. It, it apparently shocked Alexander because it matched a vision that he had had years before. So, so rather than conquer the city, he, he marched into the city as a welcome guest. But let me describe that entry into the city that day. He was only 23 years of age at the peak of his physical prime. I read that somewhere. It's a little irritating to think that 23 is the peak of your... <laughs> Whatever. Long before he arrived, the stage was set. First 2,000 mounted lancers rode in. their lances pointing to the sky. The thunder of their hooves shook the ground. Then 2,000 trumpeteers followed row after row. Their mighty blast bounced off the walls and even to the east there on the Mount of Olives. Next came 500 shiny chariots polished to reflect the noonday sun. The, the, the choking dust and the rumble of their wheels f- further accentuated their power. Then came hundreds of swordsmen with weapons raised Marching through, followed by, are you ready, 39,000 foot soldiers with spears and, and bows. Dressed in crimson suits, the heavy tramp of their boots um, vibrated the ground. This was an amazing display. Another large group of uh, trumpeters heralded the, the king himself. In rode Alexander the Great on his white stallion that everybody knew, Becephalus, the most famous of all ancient steeds, the white-plumed brass helmet on his head sat like a crown, a red cape hung from his shoulders. It was, a, again, a da- dazzling display of pageantry and power. Alexander set the standard for every conqueror to follow. I mean, talk about a triumphal entry. In fact, the word uh, triumph... Um, from the Greek, uh, means to lead in triumph. Uh, Later, uh, during Roman times, the the, the empire that followed the Greeks, the Latin word triumph would describe a public celebration to bring home a victorious general. The general would enter the city, preceded by uh, the Roman Senate. Um, Followed would be his armies decked out for the occasion. Bringing up the rear would be Well, the captives and the prisoners of war and in chains displayed as the spoils of victory. Crowds would, by the thousands, would line the streets giving ovations, shouts of acclaim, throwing flowers, burning incense. (laughs) It's said that when Julius Caesar returned to Rome from Gaul, the parade lasted three full days. Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, those were, make no mistake about it, triumphal entries. Well, today, in our study of Mark, it is, in a sense, Palm Sunday. Now, I suppose that name is fine. I mean, most of us know that it refers to the day that Jesus entered Jerusalem near the end of His ministry, commencing the Passion Week. As He neared the city that day, according to the Gospel of John, the crowds cut down palm leaves to spread before Him. And and as I did some reading, I found that Palm Sunday was used, that name was used as early as the 4th century. and In fact, by then and even earlier, Christians would gather on the Mount of Olives outside Jerusalem and make their way in procession to commemorate, celebrate that particular event. But but what is it that we commemorate on Palm Sunday? Well, everybody knows it's the triumphal entry. Uh, That's right. The name used to refer to Alexander's grand entrance into the city some 360 years before. But I got a question for you: Who in the world called Jesus riding in on a donkey the triumphal entry? Yes, you say it's the heading in my Bible. It's right there before the story. Well, of course you do understand that the titles and notes in your Bibles aren't inspired. They're just there to help us under understand and make our way through this scripture, know what we're reading. (laughs) Triumphal Entry. Are you kidding? I mean, who named it that? It's not in the biblical text, to be clear. Where did it come from? Try as I might, I could not find when that name first started being used. It wasn't in any of my many church history books. I have three shelves of them. The earliest I could find it called Triumphal Entry was in the 1880s. Triumphal Entry. (laughs) let's read the event and then compare it to the triumphal entries of Alexander the Great and Julius Caesar. This particular event is recorded in all four Gospels. It's kind of important, but let's look at it in our continuing study of the Gospel of Mark. In Mark 11, verses 1 to 11, notice all the ones. Mark 11, verse 1. As they approached, Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany, two kind of suburbs outside of Jerusalem, near the Mount of Olives, again to the east, separated by the Kidron Valley, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. It wasn't even his. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? you say, The Lord has need of it, and immediately whoever's asking you, he'll send it back here. They went away and found a colt at the door and tied it on the street and they are uh, outside in the street and they untied it. Some of the bystanders were saying to them, What are you doing? And tying the colt. They spoke to them just as Jesus had told them, and they gave them permission. They brought the colt to Jesus and put their coats on it. And he sat on it. And many spread their coats. In the road, and others spread leafy branches which they cut from the fields. Those who went in front and and those who who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! And blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest! Well, Jesus then entered the city, entered Jerusalem, and he came to the temple. And after looking around a little while at everything, he he left for Bethany with the twelve. It was already late. Does that sound like a triumphal entry to you? The heading in my Bible, I mean, it has it, triumphal entry. Here's my question, why? Let me remind you of the context. Some six months before Jesus had finished his Galilean ministry, began to make his way South to Jerusalem along the way. He did continue to heal people, but he began to focus attention, his attention, his teaching on his disciples. In fact, he told the disciples three times what awaited him once he got to Jerusalem. There he would be handed over to the elders, chief priests, the scribes, and he would, he would suffer and be put to death. Now, now all, all along, the disciples have to be asking, well, if that's the case, why go? I mean... Things are going pretty well in Galilee, don't you think? Large crowds are following. Let's let's go back there. But we've seen his face was resolutely set toward Jerusalem. There was no turning back. He, He walked ahead, remember, with a purpose. It was the reason for which he'd come. As they arrived, they were coming with the throngs of People making their way to Jerusalem for the Passover. You see, the Jews were required to present themselves at the temple at least once a year, and the Passover was actually the favorite festival at which to, to, to do that. In fact, Josephus, I shared this with you recently, tells us that during a Passover about this time, some 260,000 lambs were sacrificed. One lamb was enough for 10 people. If that number is anywhere even close to right, he exaggerated a lot, but it's possible that Jerusalem swelled to over two million people when Jesus arrived. I mean, it was literally an ocean of of people. Jesus was one of of thousands walking in that day, meaning he he could have just slipped in incognito. It was Passover. Beginning of the week, as the pilgrims made their way to Jerusalem, one of the first things they would do is present their lambs to to a priest for approval. It had to be an approved lamb. Ten of them would have a lamb or select a lamb without spot or blemish. The, the, the lambs they brought <laughs> seldom met muster. No problem. The priests had other lambs, approved lambs for sale. We'll, we'll remember that when we get to it next week. The pilgr- pilgrims would then keep the lamb that they had were forced to buy until Passover, at which time it would be sacrificed in commemoration of their deliverance from Egypt. This particular day, Jesus was riding into Jerusalem. People all over the city were presenting their Passover lambs, and Jesus was presenting himself to God as the Passover lamb. He would take away the sin of the world. In fact, that for just a moment, they're going to crown him King Jesus, not realizing they were actually choosing the Lamb of God. Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem. Jesus instructed two of his unnamed disciples to go into Bethphage, a small village again at the base of the Mount of Olives on the road from Jericho. And he told get a colt. Matthew tells us it was a colt of a donkey. It's kingly, don't you think? Now some want to say that Jesus was just a good man. He'd done some good things, got a little bit carried away. And then one day he went to Jerusalem like every good Jew would do. Crowds got a little carried away because they knew the good things that he was doing. And before you knew it, he was swept up in a drama with a part he didn't really want to play. He never really intended for everything to happen the way that it did this particular week. Some suggest. But please notice it was Jesus who sent his disciples to the village to get the cult. You see, he was aware of the prophecy of Zechariah chapter Nine, which said the Messiah would ride into town on the colt of a donkey, which means, which means Jesus chose all of this. He knocked over the first domino that would begin the chain of events of Passion Week. This did not catch him by surprise. He wasn't swept up in a drama. He was, he was the drama director. He chose it. It led to his crucifixion see, you need to understand the first two things that Jesus uh, did upon arriving uh, in, in the city, they're, they're very public with messianic overtones and messianic authority. You see the time for the messianic secret? It's over. He, he, so he's going to ride into Jerusalem per Zechariah 9 on the colt of a donkey with the Galilean crowds. By the way, it's the Galilean crowds proclaiming him to be the son of David. <laughs> Bartimaeus may have started that little rhyme. Well, the second thing he's going to do is he's going to go to the temple, the very heart of Jewish worship and and priestly function. You see, the, the Jewish priests, they didn't come out to meet this one like they did Alexander. So he goes to where they are and makes a mess. It's quite public. Jesus knew what he was doing. He was throwing down the gauntlet, challenging the religious leadership that had opposed him, Respond. As the disciples return with the aunt, uh, the, the colt, they spread uh, coats on the colt, and Jesus rode it into town. Mark says there were crowds with him, meaning they had come from Jericho before and after. Likely, the uh, again the same crowd that had seen Bartimaeus healed. Maybe they had even seen Lazarus raised from the dead. That's important. You see, they, they were coming with him. These were pilgrims, likely Galilean Jews. It's important. As he came, they spread out their cloaks before him, symbolic of sovereignty, his right to rule, well, them. They, they, they cut leafy branches from fields. John tells us that branches from palm trees to make a path. And they start crying out before they even get to the city. Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Much of that is actually a quote of Psalm 118. One of the Hallel Psalms was often proclaimed during these festivals. And This one was a psalm of deliverance. In fact, it's often called the Conqueror's Psalm. Riding a donkey he was. Probably started with just a few people, soon caught on. Many were chanting. We read the crowd was shouting. So much so that Matthew tells us all of the city was stirred, and it's actually a bit of an uproar. In Luke, we read that the Pharisees, (laughs) they become indignant. Told Jesus, tell your disciples to be quiet. To which Jesus responded, you know this. If I tell them to stop, the stones will cry out. Time for the Messianic secret's over. Now, you have to figure at this point the disciples were looking at each other thinking maybe you know maybe Jesus has been wrong maybe this it isn't suffering and death after all maybe he's going to go to Jerusalem to be crowned king maybe they were secretly bumping fists this could be better than Galilee I mean it really was quite the display don't you think well, Let's compare it with a real triumphal entry shall we Alexander rode into Jerusalem on in a white stallion named Bucephalus, means ox head, symbolizing strength and dignity. It was the most famous, as I suggested, of ancient steeds, kind of like high silver away. Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, not really a donkey, the colt, the baby of a donkey. What's his name? I don't know, Eeyore? You <laughs> see his feet dragging on the ground, and it's a colt not trying to be disrespectful. I want you to get the picture. Baby donkey, menial beast of burden, no dignity. Not much of a symbol of royal majesty, but there are some parallels. But this beast symbolized, you see, more of the kingdom that Jesus came to bring. We'll come back to that. Alexander is dressed in a brass helmet, white plume, a red cape, S on his chest. I made that part up. Um, Jesus comes in helmetless, dressed in the clothes of a Galilean peasant, itinerant preacher, who, remember, had no place to lay his head. Alexander follows an impressive army, lances, swords, bows, arrows, chariots, cavalry soldiers, trumpeters, who accompanies Jesus, well, He made his way to Jerusalem, no doubt accompanied by the twelve. We remember them, valiant soldiers they were. In fact, in a few days, one of them is going to take a sword, actually a kitchen knife, and with a mighty flourish, cut off someone's ear. Valiant soldiers indeed, former fishermen, tax collector. One of them was a zealot. One of them was also a thief. They were Galileans. They would not have been respected by the Jews of Jerusalem riffraff. His entourage was completed by formerly blind, maimed, crippled, leprous, dead people. Bartimaeus, you see, would have been there. Jesus told him, go. Bartimaeus came, followed. Jesus just told him, Jericho. uh, Zacchaeus would have been there. He was that diminutive tax collector who decided to follow Jesus just days before. Lazarus would have been there since Jesus had just raised him from the dead. In fact, this is interesting. John chapter 12 tells us that many of the people were coming out actually from Jerusalem to meet Jesus. Well, not really. They wanted to see Lazarus. They'd heard the story. They'd never seen a dead man walking. So the, 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 the very, it's very important to our understanding of what's going on here. Yeah, there were thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people there that day. Jesus kind of hobbling in on the, bopping in on the baby donkey. They're not really impressed with Jesus. They're just impressed with his tricks. That's the picture, former prostitutes, sinners, tax collectors. Not much of a processional, triumphal entry. Instead of flowers and incense, there were only the cloaks of peasants and branches cut from nearby trees. Instead of trumpets, there was only the sound of common people crying out, Galilean common people crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Finally, it was obvious to everyone who Alexander was when he rode in. I mean, that's what the parade was all about. Setting the stage for the entrance of the king. Jesus rides in. Some of the crowd begin shouting, Hosanna. Some of them don't even know who Jesus is. You see, in Matthew's account, they ask the question, who is this? Hosanna, who is this? You almost get the idea that the crowd was the one caught up in a drama, the excitement of the moment. Everyone had gathered for Passover. They were celebrating the exodus from Egypt. They were looking for a Messiah some days. They were in a deliverance mood, maybe. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hey, that's kind of cool. Uh, the Messiah might be running into town. Here he comes. Wait, who is it? Triumphal entry. If this is a triumphal entry, a coronation of a king, as some call it, king of kings, it has to be the most pathetic triumphal entry, the most pathetic coronation of all time. As one commentator said, this is almost like a Kmart style coronation of Blue Light Special. I mean, what's going on here? The the, the crowds were yelling, crown him. But by the end of the week, a different crowd, another crowd, would be yelling, crucify him. A, A crowd claiming him as their king at the end of the week. Another crowd would say, we have no king but Caesar. A crowd proclaiming Hosanna, which means save us now. Another crowd at the end of the week would say, you saved others. Come down from the cross and save yourself. Triumphal entry, are you kidding me? You bet it was. How so? Because in entering Jerusalem, he set in motion the events that would culminate in the first Good Friday, his death and burial, leading to the event of all time, three days later, his resurrection. They just didn't get it. You see, Jesus came as a victorious conqueror, but not like the ones the world was used to, not like the one the Jews expected, not the ones that we respect. Triumphal entry, yes. He came as a conqueror and fulfillment of that prophecy in Zechariah 9. I suppose we ought to read it. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation. Humble. First eight verses talked about Alexander. This one, humble, mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Why did he have to fulfill this particular prophecy? What? If you were writing the script, wouldn't it have been different? Well, well, why why can he come on a mighty white horse, regally dressed with a mighty army? Again, those first eight verses of Zechariah 9 talk about the mighty conquest of Alexander the Great. The verses which follow talk about a different kind of conqueror. This king, you see, would come riding colt of a donkey. Rather than a beast of conquest, the one bearing him was a beast of humility and peace. It spoke, as I suggested earlier, of the kingdom he came to bring. He would come in gentle, not crushing, gentle, not cruel, and this is the picture of the kingdom he offers today. If you're looking for a different kind of king, you'll likely miss him. He came on a donkey and went straight to the cross. Behold, your conqueror king, church. Now, I know as I described that, some of you are thinking not of the past but of the future. Great. Fist bump. Jesus returns to earth. This time, Revelation 19 says he, he won't be on a donkey. He will be on a white horse. He, he won't come in peasant clothing but in a robe dipped in blood. And his eyes will be on a, a flame of fire. On his head will be a crown with many diadems. And following him will be armies of heaven clothed in fine, lemon, fine linen, white and clean, riding on white horses. Yes. On his thigh will be a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. There will be no confusion then, make no mistake about it. He will come as a warrior king, but not the first time. And yet I'm going to suggest that even as he came the first time, he came as a conqueror. But what did Jesus come to conquer? He came to conquer his old foe, Satan. Well, Satan would bruise his heel on Good Friday Friday. To follow that first Palm Sunday, Jesus would rise from the dead on the first Easter, thus crushing Satan's head. He came to conquer death. He came to conquer sin, your sin. He came to conquer sickness and disease. He came not to take life, but to give it. You see, the Jews thought their Messiah when he came would be a military conqueror. They much preferred an Alexander-type Messiah, one who would throw off the tyranny of Rome. But when Jesus came... He was not so much concerned with Rome. He was concerned with the tyranny of sin. He came not to free people from the slavery to Rome, but from slavery to sin. Yes, this was a triumphal entry, but not one they expected. The king came to give his life as a ransom for many. His kingdom, you see, is not like the kingdoms of this world. His is an eternal spiritual kingdom. And as we have seen, it was not made up of the mighty, the noble, the strong. It was made up of the poor, the broken, the mourning, the gentle, the hungry, the thirsty. It's a different kind of kingdom. And if you're looking for something different, you might miss it. Let me close with this thought. When you think of the triumphal entry, I want you... I'm talking Jesus' triumphal entry. I want you to know something. It's still going on. <laughs> Three days? It's nothing. Parade's still happening. Not only that, if you are a follower, a believer in Jesus Christ, you are part of the triumphal procession. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to death. To another, an aroma from life to life. I want you to understand what Paul is doing. He is describing a triumphal procession. This one is being led by God Himself, who is the conquering King. We are the soldiers, if you will, who follow. And we become an aroma to those who are watching. What does this mean? Remember when a victorious army came marching into the city, the, the, the crowds would, would, would burn incense and they would throw flowers in the way of the soldiers. And as the army marched over the flowers, the fragrance released with the burning incense would waft through the entire city. It was a celebration. It was a smell of victory. We too, as we make our way, Provide an aroma of God through Christ to those watching. To those who are being saved, that is to those who will identify with the victor King Jesus, we are an aroma of life. And sadly, to those who say no thanks, we become an aroma of death to those who are perishing. We are an aroma to people today. You may be here this morning and you've never made a commitment of your life to Jesus. You're like those those pilgrims and and people in Jerusalem. They they, they knew something was up. And like the first Palm Sunday, you, you may be asking, well, who is this? I'm interested in knowing about Jesus. I want you to know today that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. Of all of the triumphal entries that have ever been, All of the armies that have ever marched, all of the kings that have ever been crowned, none is as important as this one. And I would invite you this morning to know your king. He came to conquer your sin, to conquer your death, and to give you eternal life. The church around you you wants to be the aroma of life to you. We do not want to be the aroma of death. Triumphal entries Jesus, Alexander. Both rode triumphantly into Jerusalem. Both died about the age of 33. That's where the similarities end. One lived for himself, one died for all. The Macedonian died on a throne, the Jew on a cross. One led vast armies, the other walked alone. The Macedonian, well, he shed blood. The Jew gave his blood. One made slaves, the other set people free. The Macedonian conquered every throne, the Jew every grave. Alexander won the world in life but lost it in eternity. Jesus gave his life but won it for us for eternity. Alexander, the conqueror, is dead, but through Jesus, death is conquered. Triumphal entry? You bet. Behold your king, church. And there is coming a day when the cries of Hosanna, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, will be changed to. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Let's pray. Father, the truth is, uh, living in one of the greatest nations uh, on the planet that's ever been, we are impressed with stuff. We're impressed with power and authority and might, and and we get sidetracked by um, that stuff and politics and armies and arguments and pretenses that set themselves up against you, Sovereign Lord. And we have been reminded uh, today of the kingdom that Jesus came to bring. Easy for us to accept it and the relative prosperity in which we live, and yet he came not to bring that kind of kingdom. He came to bring one of humility and peace Thank you, King Jesus, for humbling yourself and coming in the form of a servant and being found in the form of a servant, giving yourself to conquer my sin and my death. In Jesus' name, amen.